This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Think about Lawrence. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Always love that uh, spiced up intro, though. Welcome into Press Pass, a college football podcast. I'm Kayla Anderson, joined by my lovely co-host, Gabriella Giovanni, And this is our 40th. Yes, 4-0, our 40th episode. Uh, And really quickly, before we get into things, I'd like to turn it over to somebody who we love in the college football community for this short message. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm I'm not a kid. Write something about me or our coaches. Don't write about a kid. Caleb, Mike Gundy always... Always getting it done for us. I look forward to all of his press conferences during this college football season because he always delivers, never disappoints. Yeah, that rant is seriously one of my favorites of all time from any coach at any level in sport. And so uh, we had to get that in for you. We, we hope you guys uh, enjoyed that. But today, Ella, we are actually continuing our college football previews. We have the Pac-12 today and the Big Ten we're both from uh, each of those those conferences. I know. It's exciting. We didn't really schedule it to fall this way, but today's preview obviously is near and dear to our hearts as uh, we spent our college years with both of these conferences. So I'm excited to dive right into it. Let's get started with the Big Ten. Obviously, Kayla, first and foremost, the buzz around the Big Ten is life after Urban Meyer. I think this is getting a lot more hype than maybe it should be obviously it's a big deal he's one of the winningest college football coaches of all time but you have to move on right every error comes to an end and it's a new day under coach Ryan Day at Ohio State and the expectations as always are very high in Columbus however a lot of these coaches around the Big Ten I think are overreacting to the sense of oh now this is our time to go after Ohio State since Urban Meyer is no longer there Look, we all know Urban Meyer recruited all of the players that are currently playing at Ohio State. So there's definitely not going to be a dip in talent, right? It's all going to come down to the staff that Ryan Day has put together. A lot of the guy, a lot of the staff still the same from Urban Meyer's staff. It's just going to come down to what he can do. And, and I, I have a lot of hope in what Ryan Day can do. Can he do it to the Urban Meyer level? We don't know. He's never been a head coach before at a big-time program like this. So there's a lot of question marks. But I don't expect to see this huge dip uh, for Ohio State this year, as I think other people are hoping for, let's say. 
I don't think they would have hired Ryan Day unless they thought that he could do what he needed to do at that level because Ohio State is one of the most dominant college football programs in the country and they could have hired anyone really but they chose to go ahead and just hire from within and took Ryan Day so that leads me to believe that they obviously did their homework they felt comfortable with him but but I think the biggest thing is the fact that they got a football coach in there that the players really liked mm-hmm. and that the players respected and that could go out there and pick up from what Urban Meyer was doing on the recruiting trail because they really haven't lost any luster in that category. No. Um, so I think the new the new era with Ryan Day, clearly there are going to be some big expectations and I think he would understand that. He doesn't have a choice. He has to win. Right. And I think when we dive into it, looking at this season, Ella, the key to finding success is, first of all, finding a starting quarterback right now um, that is going to lead the way because obviously they're losing Dwayne Haskins and mm-hmm. he was just stellar for them. And so they have this guy coming in from Georgia, the Georgia transfer, Justin Fields. Now he has some competition, as you've probably read as well, going on right now from the other transfer out of Kentucky, Gunnar Hoke. Right. Uh, there is a battle right now. So Ryan Day has not announced a starter. They think it will be Fields, but He's just letting this battle kind of play out. Um, But I'd say pick it soon, Ella, because they have to start building chemistry with some of these young wide receivers that Ohio State has. So I think that that needs to kind of happen sooner than later. Um, And then on the opposite side of the ball for me, the defense, like always, it should be pretty strong, returning seven starters. That D-line also led by Chase Young, he's already generating a lot of buzz for going early in the draft. So it will be interesting to see how the defense, um, you know, plays out because they always have such a stellar defense there at Ohio State. Yeah, before we move forward real quick, I I did want to touch on that quarterback battle because last week we talked a lot about Lincoln Riley, if he's bluffing about there even being a quarterback battle at Oklahoma when you have Jalen Hurts sitting there. Mm -hmm. I do think he's the obvious choice. But Ryan Day has been a lot more firm in saying there is a quarterback battle. And he's been very outright in also saying that no one is sticking out. No one is stepping up, which is interesting because I think Justin Fields would be the obvious choice. But maybe there's a lot more going on and it's a lot more chippy in practice that we don't know of right now. So it's good, I think, for a team that's in such a transition right now. It's, it's good to have that competition. I still think it probably will be Justin Fields, but I think it's a, it's a good quarterback battle right now, and we'll see what he finally decides. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, looking at the rest of the conference, the, the biggest question for me is how long can Jim Harbaugh go without delivering? In, in four seasons, obviously he's led multiple 10-win seasons, but he's not winning the big games. He can't beat Notre Dame. He has yet to beat Ohio State. When you're hired at a program like Michigan, your biggest job is beat your rival, and he can't do it. And there's been closer games than others. Last year was an embarrassment. He's struggled against Michigan State. He's one in three in bowl games. He can't win a bowl game, and he's not playing in big-time bowl games either. No Big Ten titles. How long can this go on for? It feels like he can do anything and still, still have a job. And again, you're a head coach at a program like Michigan. You need to deliver. You have to deliver in these big time situations and he just can't do it. I don't know if it's because he is a Harbaugh and he he came from the NFL and he was a former 
you know, player. I don't know if that gives you a longer leash in college football, because I feel like if this was any other head coach, that there wouldn't even be this conversation because the head coach right. would already be gone by now at a program like Michigan that has that um, high co- caliber, you know, football and name around it. So I agree with you. I don't think that there should be much more of a leash if you're going to be fair compared to all these other coaches just because he has a name. I mean, is that what we're going with here? Because I think that people sometimes I think are like, okay, let's give him another chance. Let's give him another year. But really, what has he proven? I mean, he's he's brought that program up a bit, a little bit. Sure. But when you're not beating Ohio State, that is the first and foremost thing that should be on your checklist when you go and you take over at Michigan. Mm-hmm. You have to beat Ohio State by this point. Yep. And he hasn't done it, like you said. And the bowl games, that's another issue. He's got to win bowl games. So that means something to a program like that that's trying to get back to the top. Uh, here's what I will say, Ella, giving, uh, I guess, a little positive to this upcoming season. The Wolverines did you know, switch over to that no huddle offense. Mm-hmm. And I think it has helped in terms of production, especially for quarterback Shea Patterson, who returns this year. Um, I like what he is going to be able to do with the skilled players around him. But my concern, and this is the concern in the Big Ten when you're going up against schools like um, Ohio State, like Wisconsin, like Penn State, there isn't a lot of proven depth on the line, on the defensive side of the ball. And if you can't do anything there, you're going to have some problems. So I will be interested to see how Harbaugh comes this year into it, knowing that he has a chance to beat Ohio State with Urban not there. If he doesn't do it this year, Ella, I mean, I personally would be like, see ya, buddy. It's trouble. I mean, if Ryan Day, his first year at the helm, beat you, yeah, it's it's time to hit the road. Yeah, like take your white, like pasty stomach <laughs> and all those dad bod picks and burn them. Let's let, see. Ya. Uh, yeah, I just, I can't understand. <laughs> you know, and, and people say to me all the time, obviously, as an Ohio State grad, you know, throughout the season, aren't you glad they lost or don't you want them to lose? No, I want them to come into that Thanksgiving weekend game undefeated. When you're in a big rivalry situation like that, you want both teams to show up that day at their best. That's what makes it so good. That's what makes it a rivalry. And some years, I mean, obviously playing to a double overtime, that's a good year. Whoever ends up on the right side of that game, that's a fun game. That's a rivalry game. But a game like last year, that's not a rivalry that was pathetic on their part. And and they came into that game as as rated the number one defense in the country. They certainly didn't show it, that's for sure. Yeah, I know. It's either the offense isn't doing it, or now it's the question, will it be the defense? So I don't know what to think about this Michigan team, but the fact that like they can't win the big games concerns me. I mean, beat Notre Dame, right? Who do they yeah, play? No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Notre Dame's overrated every year. We know this. I did wanna I mentioned Wisconsin. Now, I know they're a team that, I'm sorry, no matter what, like they have been consistently good. I'm not saying they've been great, but that's always a team that you look at that's been, they're kind of vanilla, but they're good. They're coming off a five and four season in the Big Ten, so not the best. But like I said, in the last four years, they're 42 and 12. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad in the Big Ten. No, no, no. So I, I look at them to be a player in the Big Ten this year. Um, they will rely on the run game like usual. We know that that's kind of what they base their game on. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have a returning Heisman candidate in Jonathan Taylor, who will be fun to watch. Yep. The biggest thing that I see that they need here, Ella, is they have to have better quarterback play. 
that they have to have that. And hopefully, you know, Junior Jack Cohn can come in and be that guy. As for the defense, on the defensive side of the ball, the secondary mm-hmm. should be impressive. Line should be better. They're getting Garrett Rand back returning uh, after an Achilles injury. But they just need to do better overall if they want to make it to that Big Ten championship game. Because when I was covering the Big Ten, they were a player in that. Always. Very consistently. I hope that they get back there. I like Wisconsin. I think that it's always a solid team. So I look forward to seeing what they can do. That's always been a tough game on the schedule for the Big Ten East opponents. I think another reason why they perhaps always did well in the West is the West hasn't always been as strong as the East. However, last year was a little bit different. Northwestern out of nowhere playing in that Big Ten championship game. I'm excited to see what Northwestern looks like after a season like they had last year. Obviously, they'll be without their quarterback, Clayton Thorson, who was drafted by the Eagles. But Pat Fitzgerald is doing big things there. And I'm excited to see how he takes that momentum of last season and moves it forward. Because now there's definitely expectations when you perform the way you did. There was no expectations for Northwestern in the past. Now there might be. That might be a game that teams are now circling on their calendar because they're a little bit more of a threat than they were in years past. A team that I think might not be as much of a threat as they've been in years past is Penn State. I expect them to really dip this year. I love James Franklin and what he's done, especially in the wake of everything that that program has dealt with. He has done a phenomenal job in State College, but huge departures with quarterback Trace McSorley and running back Miles Sanders, both headed to the NFL. It's a lot of new guys, a lot of new blood in that program. So that Penn State is very, very interesting to me this year because especially Ohio State, they've they've gone back and forth with Penn State the past few years. That's been a hard game for them to play. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do and what James Franklin might have up his sleeve because you can never count out James Franklin at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. James Franklin was actually here in Nashville before he took the job at Penn State. And he was able to do big things in just the very short time he was here at Vanderbilt. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's been able to go up there and really help out a program that had dealt with all the controversy that they had dealt with and to get players to come there. And like you had mentioned, the game, the battle with Ohio State, that's been going on since I was up there three years ago. I mean, that's a game that I'd look forward to every single season, whether it be in Happy Valley or back in Columbus, mm-hmm. uh, the games were always great. And it just goes to show you that he can compete um, with any team at a high level. So it should be interesting to see, though, like you said, if they have a drop-off of any sort, uh, we'll see how that plays out. But you have another guy that you're you're anxious to see in year two. Yeah, Scott Frost in year two at Nebraska. A lot of these preseason predictions has Nebraska winning the West. And I just have a hard time understanding that right now because of last season. Obviously it was his first year as a head coach, but I think people thought he was the second coming of Christ Mm -hmm. and it just did not go that way, but rightfully so, you know, he has a lot of recruiting to do. He, he has a lot to do before we can go and say, this is Nebraska's year. They're turning it around. He has a lot more to do than just turn it around. And, you know, last year they started the season 0-6. This is bigger than a a rebuild, I think, than what was initially anticipated. Last year their defense allowed 433 yards and 31 points per game. So can their offense compensate for the defensive unit? I don't know. They have a good quarterback in Adrian Martinez. It's going to come down to what Scott Frost can do to rally these players, to come and say that they're going to win the West. I'm not buying it just yet. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I was reading some articles about this Adrian Martinez kid because he's getting so much buzz there. Mm-hmm. And he's also, I, I guess he's like considered a Heisman dark horse even. So it'll be interesting, like you said. I mean, you always want a solid quarterback and he's considered one of the best signal callers at the position but you have to play defense in the big 10 we've all seen that and so you you just have to wonder like you can't be just one-sided it can't be the big 12 here just going up and scoring (laughs) points because that's not going to happen in the big 10 you might be able to cut it like that in the big 12 yeah not in the big 10 some big boy defense in the big 10 exactly yeah i would love to see though nebraska come back as a powerhouse program i mean that is a program it seems so long ago like i talk about texas being a program that hasn't been relevant in a few years nebraska hasn't been relevant in like a decade Like it's, it's a program that is not even been talked about, but they should be. I mean, they grow those, those kids up there. Mm -hmm. Like they, they can get kids to play. They just need to get it back to where it needs to be. And I think Scott Frost can do that, but I think they're going to have to have a little bit of patience. Yeah. A lot of growing pains. Absolutely. Well, football season is here people. And it is time to start placing your bets for the NFL and college football. Now, Blue Wire is teaming up with sports information traders and legend John Price, one of the most successful sports bettors. So, our listeners are given the chance to make more money on the football season, and that's never a bad thing. So, go to sportsinformationtraders.com backslash Blue Wire and get the college football and NFL futures plays and make up to 15 times more money for only a $99 investment. So last year's sports information traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship, making one client alone $110,000. The year before that, Kurt Presley of sports information traders made $1 million with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles, your Eagles, to win the Super Bowl. And then John Price and the sports information traders team, it can guide you on the best ways to make money on future bets and preseason football betting picks. You get all of that for just $99 and the opportunity to make 15 times your money. It's totally worth getting Sports Information Traders betting picks. Sports Information Traders has been featured in ESPN, Gambling911.com, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many more. John Price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years. Make a big return for a small investment with Sports Information Traders Futures Picks. Get started now by going to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue. Again, make sure you go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue to have your chance at a 15 times return this football betting season. All right, well, now we're going to dive into our Pac-12 preview. And to preview everything with us, we are going to bring in former Washington State quarterback and ESPN analyst, Ryan Leaf. Ryan, my fellow Coug, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Welcome to be here. Okay, Ryan, well, let's get right into it. The Pac-12 would love to have some teams uh, worthy of being in the college football playoff talk this season. So let's start with the team that is getting the most preseason love, and they usually do get a lot of it, and that is Oregon. Now, the Ducks return quarterback Justin Herbert, who has really a full boat of skills, and they'll certainly be tested early by Auburn. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not sold on on Oregon yet. They have to prove something to me. There were times last year where they just completely disappeared, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat a team like Washington, which in a game they probably should have lost at home, yep. and then they go and just absolutely no show at Washington State and and don't even get off the plane at Arizona, and then in a must win game at Utah where they were down a starting running back and starting quarterback, they still couldn't get it done either. So they're going to be my, they're going to be improved. Um, the first game will really tell everybody what who what they're about. We'll see, also see what Auburn's about in, in Week One. But I, I'm not I'm not sold on them quite yet. I'm still uh, looking at Washington as probably the cream of the crop in the North, and then the Utah Utes down in the South are going to probably make the most noise. Bringing up Utah, they really intrigued me this season. They finished last season first in the Pac-12 South. They had a tough go against Washington, both in the regular season and in the Pac-12 championship game. But they finished with a 9-5 and record, 6-3 and in the conference. They certainly showed a lot of promise. Do you expect to see the Utes running the Pac-12 South again? And can they pull out bigger wins in the North Division? They have yet to win more than 10 games since joining the Pac-12. Is 2019 the year that they do that? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think that they have a schedule that sets up well for it. Their their non-conference isn't anything to uh, necessarily uh, boast about, but they get BYU in week one. I think that's great. I think they'll be focused coming into a non-conference opponent early on and then Northern Illinois and Idaho State before they ramp up that, that Pac-12 conference where they don't have the crossover games against Stanford or uh, Oregon, which is huge, I think. They have to go to Washington, Washington State, who's dominated them the last few years comes to them so they have a real good chance of of sniffing that 10 plus win season uh i think they're a team that probably gets to 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 uh and, and plays for the south south division champion and we'll see what what plays out in the pac-12 championship i just i don't know if there's a pac-12 team that actually could go undefeated which i think is going to have to happen to get get your name thrown into the college football playoff conversation well chatting about stanford stanford is it always seems to be there but hasn't taken it to that next level as of late. Now the Cardinal finished 2018, nine and four, six and three in the conference. Their three conference losses came to Utah, Washington state and uh, Washington. So here's the thing with them. David Shaw obviously is a good coach. We've seen what he can do with this team, but can they get over the hump? Can they get to that next level? Well, I, I don't know if they can or not. I think they're going to be about what they've been the last few years. They lost, you know, they're very good running back. They lost mm-hmm. a, a couple great receiving players and, and I think a white side and, and a tight end as well. They got a great quarterback back in KJ Costello. I think they're going to, they're going to win games and lose games around the same kind of teams they did a year ago. Right. They have to, they host Oregon, they host Washington. Those are huge. They have to go to Washington state who they haven't done well with. They, they host Notre Dame, so I mean they have a chance. Their their, their schedule is brutal. They play they play eleven Top. Power Five conference teams, and yeah. and a Group of Five you know star in in UCF. So their first six games are going to really tell us who they are. If they if they win the majority of those, uh, they could easily vault themselves up into the top ten and be in a position to uh, challenge in the North. Well, Kayla and I talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast that. Washington has been put in a position over the past three seasons to make statements on the national stage, and they simply just haven't done it. In 2016, they made an appearance in the college football playoff against Alabama. 2017, 
faced Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl, and then just last year up against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, where they stayed within striking distance for much of the game. They can win Pac-12 championships. We've seen that. They've gone back-to-back. But when they step outside the conference, they just can't seem to compete like they should. Well, no one has been able to. They've been the best of of this conference, and I just think it's because of the competition that that they have to play week in, week out. And nine conference games, they've almost averaged 11 wins a season. You know, they always seem to find a game to lose in a a weird fashion. Two years ago, it was Arizona State. Last year, it was Cal. Mm -hmm. You know, so they got to, you know, stop doing that. But the thing that's going to change, the only thing that's going to change all this is is, as if the Pac-12 is able to compete in the non-conference in the early weeks. That's the only way that the national argument stops because I have that argument all the time with people about how competitive the conference is, how fun it is to watch, but their answer is usually, well, who have they beat? And and I fully understand that. So they have a really good opportunity. Oregon plays Auburn in week one. Stanford plays Northwestern. UW doesn't really have to deal with anybody in the non-conference, but there's other big conference games that can make UW seem better if they win these non-conference games, uh, Washington State at Houston in, in week three, even though that's not a big game, people don't necessarily think that's a big game. It's huge for, I think, the conference to win that because Houston dominated Arizona a year ago. You have UCLA out at Cincinnati in week one. You have Arizona State at Michigan State. I mean, those are big football yeah, games yeah. that will dictate what the national narrative is going to look like when people are coming to the, you know, looking at the polls and, and wondering why a Pac-12 team isn't in the conversation because they simply haven't been able to beat anybody outside their conference. So, Ryan, are you telling me, because I've been outside the Pac-12 for a number of years, and I've covered some big-time football. So do you believe the Pac-12 is still as good as it was when we were in school, when you know the Pac-12 was winning national championships? Or do you think it has taken a little bit of a dip? I, I think that uh, it, it, it's probably the most competitive conference in the country from top to bottom. Oregon State may be the only one looking up from the bottom, but they're changing their culture too with Jonathan Smith as coach. And until there is no longer ambiguity throughout the whole conference, all the other conferences not playing nine conference games, right. going mm-hmm. off and playing multiple FCS opponents. I mean, until there's like unilateral scheduling, you're never going to have a true representation of what it's like for every conference. And the best answer for this is is them to beat non-conference opponents. They haven't done it in the bowl games. Last year they went three and four. The year before that they went one and seven. So I mean they're not yeah. they're not helping themselves. Even though, no. even though we sit and watch it week in week out and cover it week in week out, I see how competitive it is. And every week there are amazing football games, and anybody can win sometimes. And I like that kind of football more than having a team sure. dominate and run the table and win by an average of thirty three points like Alabama did in the SEC last year. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I get your point. I get your point exactly. It's it's interesting your take too, um, just being over there and being able to watch it the past few years. You know, obviously you're saying the competition is good. They just need to be able to now use that at, and actually beat one of these other opponents from another conference. I can't end this without talking about the Washington State Cougars. So Mike Leach has definitely put the Cougs back on the college football map in terms of just hype of a program because I was there when things were good. You were there when things were good and people were talking about Washington state. They lose quarterback Gardner Minshew, who was just phenomenal for them last year, but they bring in the Eastern transfer gauge Grubrood. Can you see them keeping up in the North this year with this, uh, this pirate offense? Yeah, of course. (laughs) I I don't think it matters who plays quarterback. I mean, you know, they they brought a 
grad transfer in, uh, no one had ever heard of, and he barely won the job last year. Both those guys yeah. competed against our back, and they are competing against Gage Guru. They do not have a starting quarterback yet. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about when it comes to Washington State is what their schedule looks like, because their schedule is absolutely yeah. brutal. They have to. Yeah. They could be a much better football team actually this next year. They're deeper. Their wide receiver position is about as deep as any in the country. The problem is they go to Houston, they go to Utah, they go to Arizona State, they go to Oregon, they go to Cal, and then they go to Washington. Yikes. So yeah. even if – I think they can be better this year. So, But, you know, the record not actually show it. And I think the North is going to have five of the top six teams in the league this year. So, you know, I think Cal's going to compete. I think Stanford's going to compete, Oregon and Washington and Washington State. The only one that I don't see competing really out of the North is Oregon State. So Mike Leach has found a, a, a recipe to get it done there. He can win eight, nine games a year with his system, with the type of players he brings in. And I, I, I wouldn't see anything different this year happening. If they are able to find a way to win some of those games, they could have a double-digit win season. But I think they're more going to be around the eight or nine win mark, and that's going to be good enough. Well, Ryan, it's been so great having you on and hearing your perspective, previewing the Pac-12. For people that want to keep up with your coverage throughout the college football season, um, where can they follow you on social media? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Ryan D. Leaf. And then, of course, I'll be calling games for ESPN yeah. here. So uh, my first my first couple games are in the SEC. We're at Tennessee in week one and Texas A&M in week three. And Kayla, you'll be you'll be enjoying this. I'll be uh, in week two. I got the week off because I'm being inducted into the Washington State Hall of Fame. So I love congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. Get the week off, get to enjoy some Cougar football and receive that really great honor and then be back out there. So you can follow me there on College Football Live during the week on ESPN2. And and we'll be talking a lot of college football all year long. Sounds great, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And hey, maybe I'll see you on the road here if you're covering one of these SEC games down here in the SEC country. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Ryan. Well, thank you so much to Ryan for joining us for that Pac-12 preview. We're getting close, Kay. It's it's almost here. We have one more preview next week before the fun begins. But going to some good stuff from the gridiron, I got to talk about this. This had me fired up all week that there has been some talk that the Clemson Tigers won last year's national championship because Alabama was just burnt out from that SEC grind. Get out of here. SEC grind? Yeah. Tua didn't see a fourth quarter until November. What kind of grind is that? He was chilling. That is not a grind. Yeah. Who do they play? The Citadel? Get out of here. Yeah. Duh. That's it. Right. I mean, their cupcake schedule with – I know that they play SEC sure. teams. Obviously, I'm not counting no. that out. But do you know how many fillers – like, more fillers than Kim Kardashian, <laughs> okay? Like, are you kidding me? Like, let's be real here. Clemson was the better team. They were the better team. Yeah. Cut it out. Cut it out. Just cut it out. I'm sorry. I was fired up all week. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they could have won the game. They could have if maybe they prepared differently. They were outplayed. They were outcoached. Clemson was better. Trevor Lawrence was better. Tua didn't show up the way he was playing the the regular season. Yeah, they played a tough game against LSU. That's all I can think of. Georgia was tough. Tua couldn't finish the game against Georgia. Thank you, Jalen Hurts, for the win. But don't tell me yep. they were burnt out. Burnt out from what? Yeah, everybody's burnt out in a college football season. I don't care who you play. It's freaking college right. football. 
you're going out there and if you're if you're a good team, you're giving it your all every single day. It doesn't matter who you're playing against. Yeah. It's a physically demanding sport on any yep. level. Anyway, speaking of out of my system. Yeah, speaking of Nick Saban and his Crimson Tide. Did you see so Maria Taylor and Holly Rowe were visiting all the uh, like the top five yeah. programs. And so they visited Alabama, obviously. And there was this portion, didn't include the gals, but Nick Saban was sitting down in his office with Mike Tyson. First of all, what in the heck? How can I even say those two names in the same sentence? Like, it's bizarre how much Nick has just, he's not really changed as a person, like a coach, but he's definitely loosened up since I covered him in his first year at Alabama. Because there is no way he'd be sitting down with Mike Tyson (laughs) when I knew Nick Saban. Um, So they were chatting, though. I found this interesting, Ella. They were chatting about climbing the mountain in life and in sport specifically. Once you get to the top, where does it go from there? And I thought it was interesting. Mike Tyson said, sometimes you almost feel like you're past the top that it almost starts to feel like there's only flaws. Mm, Interesting. Because if you think about it, Nick Saban has taken his team to the top. Mm -hmm. And right now it's like, where else could they go? People just wait for you to slip. Right. And so we look at, you know, last year, is that a slip? Are they starting to go back down the mountain? I mean, Nick Saban obviously says you have to keep on climbing, but I liked the realistic Mike Tyson Mm -hmm saying sometimes there's only room for flaws. Now, I think I think Nick Saban is realistic. I think he knows what he's built there, and I think he knows it doesn't last forever. So he's right. definitely doing everything he can to keep it going as long as possible. But w- what is life at Alabama after Nick Saban? I mean, to find another coach like Nick Saban, that's a hard thing to do. Are they going to be a powerhouse for a really, really long time? Absolutely. It's still Alabama football. It's not hard to recruit kids to play at Alabama. But – it is no. it is super interesting to think about what do you what do you do when you get to the top? And last year might be a perfect example. Yeah, they fell. So which makes them scarier this year because they certainly now have a chip on their shoulder because some people reveled in the fact that they fell. Yep. And real quickly before we wrap things up, I thought this was crazy because we were just talking about this on our last preview session. Well, I guess Tate Martell might have blown his last <laughs> chance to be a starting quarterback. At the college level, because he has lost a starting job to a redshirt freshman. What is he doing? I don't know. There has there there's there must be issues. He must not. I guess he didn't show up to practice. On yeah, that, I read that too. That he didn't show up, which is not a good look. That's not a good look. You still got to show up, man. What is- I I mean, you didn't go to Miami. You it wasn't a done deal that you were the starting quarterback. So maybe you needed to do no. a little more work. Maybe you needed to put your head in the playbook a little more. I don't know. Maybe you just weren't as good. But that this was his chance to show. You know, he thought he was this great young talent being wasted on a bench in Columbus. That was your time to show what was wasted at Ohio State, right? This was your time to chime in, yep. and you blew it. I mean, come on, man. Get out of here, I Tate. Only, I kind of laughed right. when I read it. I'm not going to lie. I know, but he made, he made me look like a fool. Get out. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 40. 40. Sp- sponsored by the uh, the Mike Gundy. The Mike Gundy. 
So we um, have plenty more to come next week. We're going to, like we said, preview the SEC. That's our final conference before we actually kick it in to college football season. So to listen, to subscribe, and to follow us on social media, where do the people go? So if you're listening on iTunes, press that subscribe button. Please leave a rate or review. On Twitter and Instagram, our personal accounts are at Ella Didge and at Kayla Anderson TV. And also on Instagram at Press Pass Pod. All right. Well, we had fun, you guys. We hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and hope you guys learned something. Maybe you can go and give some preview notes of your own now. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Press Pass. Have a good one.